Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. We're going to have a wonderful hour with Dr. Glenn Pickering this hour. We're going to talk about when a marriage struggles. We're going to answer and ask questions like, what happens when a marriage loses that loving feeling? Or why do we argue so much with with each other? Or does counseling address the question of sin and selfishness? Glenn is a teacher, an educator, a counselor, uh, a seminar leader, He's an author. He's written several books. One is called Playing Tag, the World's Most Common Game. It's a fascinating book. He's also written written a book called Being a Gentle Man. And he's also uh, written a second book called Tag Your It. So he is with us today for the full hour. Glenn, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Yep. Nice to have you back on. Let's talk about when a marriage struggles. All right. I, um, I gave this a lot of sort of prayerful thought, and it occurred to me that there are two reasons why a marriage just starts struggling, we end up arguing, find ourselves in a state of sin. And the first one is because we get these built-up resentments. And I always think resentments are like this. Like if I'm just sitting across from you, I can see you perfectly well, of course. But then if I put my hand up in front of my face, I can't see you at all. And it's not like you moved, not like you went anywhere, not like you're any different, but I don't actually see you. And resentments are just like that. When we build up resentments in any relationship, when we look at that other person, those resentments are like a hand in our face. We don't actually see them. We just see all of our resentments. And that um, is a real, that's a way to really start that process of that marriage losing that loving feeling. Because at that point, see, we don't even actually see that person as a person. Mm-hmm. So we start to think wrongly about that person. Yes, like instead of seeing them for who they actually are, we see them as just that resentment or that pile of things I'm upset about. And um, and this is where the question of sin comes in in a really clear way because um, the word sin, literally translated, means separate. Well, if I'm looking at that person and I'm not actually seeing them as God sees them, wonderful and amazing and connected to me, that's what's true. But I don't see them at all. I just see this list of resentments. I am literally at that moment separated from them. I'm not connected to them in any godly sort of way. And I am therefore in um, what God will call a state of sin, in the sense of being separate from them. Some people use sin wrongly, like, oh, it just means, you know, bad behavior, basically. And I think, no, sin is that which prevents us from being in right relationship with other people and with God. And so when we quit seeing that person altogether, we are for sure not connected to them in the way that we were born to be connected. So, Glenn, what destroys these loving feelings that we would otherwise have? Well, let me talk about that for just a second, and then I'm going to come back to how we get resentments in the first place. Okay. Okay. Um, You know, you and I have talked a lot about this, about how... um, 
everything in life goes in this order. Think, feel, do. Okay. So my thinking, say, say that more. Say that again, but I mean, explain it just a little bit because, you know, we're always adding lots and lots of new listeners to the show, and I, I, I want them to fully understand what that means. Love it. Thank you. Um, right. So my thinking is what causes me to feel a certain way, and my feelings are what cause me to behave in a certain way. So that's why I think everything goes in that order, think, and then feel, and then do. So if I'm thinking wrongly about that person, I don't see them for the amazing creation of God that they are. I see this pile of resentments and bitterness when I look at them. And that's my thought. Well, then the feeling that that generates is a feeling, not a loving feeling, but a feeling of judgment, feeling of condemnation, a feeling like we're sort of better than that somehow. And that really messes with our ability to feel loving towards that person, which, because, as I said, everything goes like think and then feel and then do, it also then leads to really unloving behaviors. So if I look at that person, I just see my resentments, makes me feel very unloving, and I start to behave like either I start having arguments with them, and that's how, you know, these arguments get started, or we lapse into silence, which I think is just another way actually to have an argument. I'm just doing it silently in my head. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, we're in this argument. And, um, and then our human ego, which just really thinks it has to be right, starts to look for all the reasons why I'm right to behave the way I'm behaving. I, uh, I wrote earlier on in my, one of my a book I called Being a Gentleman. I said, the harder I um, try to justify something that I did, the more I can be sure that there was something wrong with what I did. (laughs) Anytime we find ourselves to justify ourselves, we know. Some deep part of us knows we really did mess up. And now we're just looking for an excuse to sort of justify why we messed up. And that really, and then we start looking for all the other things the other person does wrong as our way kind of justifying why I'm so right to have all these unloving thoughts and feelings and behaviors towards them. And honestly, it's just a way to justify that crazy behavior cycle that we are locked into. Um, Glenn, let me just play opposition here for a minute and say you say something that's hurt my feelings and all of a sudden my feelings have come to the surface. So it, it causes me to think a certain way about you. And what I'm going to do now is cancel meeting you for coffee because I'm too mad at you. Right. And actually, that's a great example. Thank you. Let's say you call me up and say, hey, Glenn, let's go to coffee. And I say, okay, but it has to be on my type time schedule because I'm really important, you know. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> immediately you think, what a self-centered jerk. <laughs> right? Yeah. Which is followed by feeling like I don't like you, which is followed by saying, don't bother, Glenn, we're not going to get together. <laughs> there's always that thought that comes first even even when our feelings get hurt it's because we have a belief about that okay that that helps a lot because i sometimes think that think feel do i just want to make sure i understand why it can't be reversed why can't it be right. feeling think do right because our brain is faster than our heart for one thing <laughs> yeah and we already have an idea as to what kind of response exactly. you glenn should give me regarding meeting for coffee Exactly. And if we don't get that right response, then we start thinking things about that other person. Things which are probably not even true, by the way, but, you know, those thoughts do generate some intense feelings. Yeah. So the thoughts we have about a person is very critical, isn't it? Yes. It really derives everything in that relationship. 
Um, my guest, I was just had in the studio, David Miles, he was saying, because uh, he heard the topic, and he said it interesting when people are li- living in selfishness and arguing, they're yelling at each other, but when people are in right relationship and loving each other, they'll often whisper to each other. Right. Or to say nothing. Right. Yes, we speak way more slowly, way more gently, with longer pauses in the conversation. Mm-hmm. So let's let's go back to, if you're ready, what destroys those loving feelings? Well, I know we've touched on it, but I want more. No, I, I love that. And maybe we can come back to that after break. Um, I'm wondering if maybe we can just talk about why we get all resentful in the first place. Sure. Because that'll set us up, I think, for that rest of that conversation you were just talking about. Okay. Um, I think we get resentments going because we have what I think of as unmet expectations. There are certain expectations that we think that other person should be doing, quote-unquote, and then we get all resentful when they don't. And um, and those resentments are all based on what we think our needs are. I think I have certain needs. I expect people in my life to meet those needs, whether I tell them about them or not. <laughs> and then I get mad if they don't do it or if they don't meet those needs in the way I think they need to be met. And um, so um, how long do we have before break? Two minutes. Okay, cool. So I'm just going to talk real briefly about the three things that lead to resentments, and then we can, come, we can talk about each of them more individually when we come back, if that's okay. Yeah. Great. My pencil is out. Go ahead. I always take notes. I love it. Okay, cool. Um, so we get resentments for three reasons, as nearly as I can tell. One, because we didn't communicate what we wanted. That people are, we can be like a very afraid of being vulnerable enough to just say, here's what I would like. Here's what I'm hoping. Here's what I'm thinking. Is that okay with you? Like, and if any of us ever hear ourselves saying things like, well, they should just know. I shouldn't have to tell them. <laughs> it's important to remember that's just an excuse to not have to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I'm going to actually have my needs met in a relationship and meet the other person's. We have to know what those needs are, and we have to just be not mean about it or not bossy, but just here's what matters to me. Here's what's important to me. All right, Glenn, let me interrupt here for a minute. Yeah, great. If if you fully knew me and fully loved me, you would know. <laughs> and here's why that's not true. Let's say I love my wife going a lot, and Friday night's our date night. <clears throat> I come home to her and I say, hey, hon, what do you want to do tonight for a date night? And she says, you should know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I won't. Okay. All kinds of things have happened to you today. You have all kinds of feelings and thoughts about how you're hoping our evening goes. You probably talked to three of your girlfriends about things they did last weekend that they thought were fun. I have no idea about any of that. But she doesn't want to have to think. She wants to be swept off her feet a little bit on a Friday night. Well, let's say that's true. Then I say, great, tell me what sounds most fun to you, and we're going to go right now. <laughs> nice, nice. I still need to know what she's thinking. Okay. So number two. Number two, thank you. Um, unforgiveness. Like, and we can for sure talk more about this after break, but I just think if somebody hurts us and we just choose not to forgive them and just let that fester in our heart, that unforgiveness will lead to resentments like every single time. I, uh, Gwen and I heard a speaker one time say that um, unforgiveness is like drinking the poison and waiting for the other person to die. And I think it's just so true. A, it wrecks us on the inside, and it destroys that relationship. And third, I'm going to talk about when we come back about what I call lack of acceptance. There are certain things in a relationship, but my wife, for example, I can work on, things I can get better at. And there are some things, you know, I'm somewhere in the autism spectrum, as you know, that just aren't going to change about me no matter how good of a person I'm trying to be. So 
that, so we need to be able to work on things. We need to grow together as a couple. But we also need to accept about each other that there are certain things that that person just can't change about themselves that will just always be true. I like that. The unforgiveness part and the resentment, I have to share with you, Glenn, yeah. and obviously others, that there was this person I was feeling some resentment towards, mm-hmm. and I thought, I need to start praying for this person. Nice. Thank and you. And it's so interesting, after praying for this person for months and months, I saw this person, and my first instinct was, oh, you're the person I'm praying for. Right. Exactly. Because <laughs> it changed your way of thinking. It about did. That. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right, let's take our little break, and then we come back, we can uh, delve into this some more. Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest. You can go to his website, glennpickering.com, G-L-E-N-N-P-I-C-K-E-R-I-N-G. He has a lovely offer at his website where you can send him a request. You can have a complimentary 20-minute consultation with him on the phone. doesn't need to lead to anything. Uh, you don't have to give all kinds of information. Just send him a request and say, I wouldn't mind one of those 20-minute phone conversations with you. Go to glennpickering.com. We'll be right back. What's up with her? I'd say she's in love. All right, what happens when a marriage loses that loving feeling? Why do we argue so much with each other? And does counseling address the question of sin and selfishness? That's the topic today with Dr. Glenn Pickering. And we're talking about when a marriage struggles. And, of course, many do. So let's keep working through this, uh, Glenn. You gave us some uh, three great points before the break. Right. Uh, they didn't communicate what uh, was expected, what I wanted. There was a level of unforgiveness and a lack of acceptance. So right. do we want to talk about those some more? Yeah, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Great. Um, okay, so let's talk about vulnerability for a second. One of the things I find that all of us tend to struggle with just simply asking for what we want. And um, and I see a lot of Christians especially struggling with that one because somehow we get taught along the way that that's selfish somehow, to just say this is what I want or this is what I'm hoping for or this is kind of my vision. And I think... It's literally the opposite of selfish. Like, um, well, there's a reason why Jesus says in Matthew 7, Ask and it shall be given unto you. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. In a relationship with God, we're supposed to always be asking for what we want. And it's important to understand that it's just as true in a marriage relationship. You know, the Bible talks about the guy being the head of the house. And, um, you know, you've heard me talk before about one of my big rants in life and when people take Christian concepts like that and then use like worldly definitions of what that means. So I've heard guys, even Christian guys, say, well, I'm the head of the house, right, so that means I make all the decisions. And I think, wow, you really only read that one line of the Bible. Because <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the Bible talks about servanthood, the first shall be last, the last shall be first, the greatest is the least of all, like that. So if I'm really the head of my house, That means I'm the servant of everybody in my house. It's my job to make sure that everybody in their house, that their needs are met. Now, none of us are psychic, which means we're really bad guessers. So it's my job to make sure my wife's needs get met. I don't know what those are. So it's my job to ask her 
And if she submits to my leadership in a biblical way, not a worldly way, when I ask her for what she wants or needs, she tells me. Pretty simple. I is. So yeah. So I was waiting for some fireworks to go off. I know. Yeah. It's like it's so. So people say, "Well, I feel selfish when I ask for what I want." And you need to understand is the biblical foundation of a right relationship. We ask each other for what we need, believing that if the other person knew what that was, that of course they would take that seriously and try their best to bring that about. It is literally secret to ask for what we want, and it's selfish not to. I mean, think about all the reasons why people say, well, I don't like asking for what I want. Because I feel selfish. I feel like a jerk. I think I might look greedy. I don't want to be too bossy. I don't want to look bad. See, all of our reasons for not doing it start with the same word, I. Mm-hmm. It's all about us. And so each of us needs to remember, if we're in a relationship, a marriage relationship for sure, but it's true in a friendship relationship, work relationship, family, parenting, we need to be free enough to just say, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I would like. Not in the demand way. Ask. Jesus didn't say demand what you want and it will come to you. He said ask and it shall be given unto you. We need to be willing in a relationship to just say what we want and why we want that. Again, not in a bossy way, just in a like we want the other person to get to know us. Mm-hmm. We have to be vulnerable enough to listen, to say what we want, and we have to be gentle enough when we're listening to not judge that or think, well, I don't need that. It doesn't matter. If my wife says, Glenn, here's what I need, I want to know that. I want to listen, and I want to take notes. (laughs) Right. And, Glenn, I I always think of, and I know we've talked about this before, but in Mark 10, when Jesus is talking to Bartimaeus, and he says to him in verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? Exactly. Isn't that kind of what we think of as the direct approach? Yes, Exactly. Even God, even Jesus, doesn't do stuff until we ask, because there's something sacred about asking. Because mm-hmm. the asking opens us up. Yeah, or in John 5 at, at the um, Pool of Bethesda, you know, do you want to get well? Yeah, exactly. I love that. So it's important to understand, then, that being vulnerable enough to say what we ask for or want or need is not selfish. It is literally selfish not to. Because the only reasons I wouldn't, because I'm worried about myself or how I look, even though I know that that actually makes the relationship less good. So I'm literally putting myself before the relationship when I don't ask for what I want. So it's just important, all of you out there who grew up like me, never asking for what you wanted, told that was selfish, whatever crazy stuff we got taught, it's important to understand that it's so unbiblical. The biblical way to be in a right relationship is to be asking for what we want, not demanding, asking, and to encourage the other person in the relationship to do exactly the same thing. Glenn, I want to take a mini survey with my Wait. audience, and I want to ask this question. Is it Wait. hard for you to ask for what you want? Nice. Love it. That's Text the great. word yes, if, it's, <laughs> if that's true, or no. Is it hard for you to ask for what you want? Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. If it's hard for you, text the word yes. If it's not hard for you, text the word no. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. I'd love to have a little mini survey here because this is fascinating. Love it! What a great idea. Thanks. Okay, cool. So, second thing that causes resentments. Remember, resentments are what get in the way of our seeing the other person clearly. Um, is what I call a lack of acceptance and. Um, 
well, I can just talk about me and Gwen. So I'm on the autism spectrum, so I'm always going to be, I'm going to need more quiet time than the average person. I'm going to be a little more socially awkward than the average person, like that. And, um, and Gwen can get frustrated about that, or she can just get, that's just true for Gwen. He needs more quiet time than the average person, and he's going to be a little slower to warm up to people than the average person in a big group of people. It's just true. And she can either be mad about that or think I shouldn't be like that or I should be more like her, who's very social, or she can just think this is just a thing that will always be true for Gwen. Mm-hmm. Anyway, now, she and I obviously work like crazy in our relationship and we're outward learning or outward growing, which is nothing I admire about Gwen more than the fact that she's outward learning and growing, outward becoming her best self. But I also understand... Um, there are limitations to that. So it doesn't matter how much I practice playing basketball, I'm not going to be in the NBA. So we just need to understand there are things we can do, and it's right to ask for what we want. Yes. And it's right for the other person to want to help give that to us if it's in their ability. Yes. And some things will not be within their range of ability. My wife Gwen will tell you, because she has ADHD, so she has a hard time being organized, She'll tell you that she has two pieces of paper. Very soon she will have lost one of them. (laughs) (laughs) And again, I could be mad at that. I could be all judgmental. Or I could just think, yeah, that's hard for her. Mm -hmm. She's amazing. She's gifted. She's incredible. I'm so lucky to have her. And and she's disorganized. And that part will always be true. Yeah. All right, Glenn, just my random survey already has already generated some some buzz here. I've got... 11 yeses and three no's. Uh So there's a lot of people that saying, yes, it is hard to ask for what I want. So we're going to have to address that nice group of people a little bit more and pray for them between now and the end of the hour. Absolutely, to pray that they get the strength to be strong enough to ask for what they want. Because I get, when we ask, we're vulnerable. If I don't ask, I can't get hurt, I can't get disappointed, I can't get let down, but I also can't be in a good relationship. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's risk. There's risk involved, isn't there, Glenn? Yes. It gets back to what I always call the big lie. It used to be in my counseling practice early on before I understood this. I'd ask my clients to take a certain, make a certain change in their life, step a little out of their comfort zone. And they would say, oh, Glenn, but then I might get hurt. And I know even back then, 30 years ago, that there was something wrong with that sentence. But I didn't really understand what. And the reason I didn't understand what was wrong with that sentence is that sentence by itself is true. If I'm vulnerable, I might get hurt. The other person might decline or they might not be able to. I might feel rejected. That part's true. The part that goes unsaid is what's not true. So it's like if I say to myself, well, if I'm vulnerable, I might get hurt. Yes. But then we also say subtext, so if I'm invulnerable, I won't get hurt. Well, if that's the case, I can be vulnerable, might get hurt, be invulnerable, won't get hurt, then being vulnerable just looks dumb. Right. But yeah. here's what's actually true. If I'm vulnerable, there's a small chance I'll get hurt. If I'm invulnerable, there's a guarantee that I will get hurt because I will never be as connected to so true. my life as I want to be. I will end up living a life of loneliness and isolation because I don't let anybody get to know me. So true. We'll be right back with Dr. Glenn Pickering. Let me know, yes or no, if you have trouble asking for what you want. 877-933-2484. Be right back. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? 
Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest today. We're talking about when a marriage struggles. And one of the questions that we raised in the last half hour was, is it hard to ask for what you want? And the answer is either yes, it is hard, or no, it's not. And if you are willing to text that answer over, we'd love to have a little survey by the end of the hour to see where most people lie on that issue. 877-933-2484. Just text the word yes or no. We'd love to hear from you. All right, Glenn, let's talk about a little bit more on unforgiveness. Okay, cool. So there are three things we're saying that can lead to resentment. It's one, a lack of vulnerability, not saying what you want. Two, a lack of acceptance of things the other person simply can't change, even if they wanted to. And third, that lack of forgiveness. And I love when Jesus says in Matthew 18, or is it or 19? I honestly always get those two mixed up. But he's talking about, you know, if your brother or sister has sinned against you, you go and talk to your brother or sister, just them alone. If they hear you, he says, you've gained your brother or your sister. In other words, why do we seek forgiveness from ourselves or seek to forgive others? Because if we don't, there's this wall between us. Remember, sin means separate. We are now separated. So we seek forgiveness because we want our brother or our sister back because we have lost them, and that's what sin does. Whereas if we forgive them and they forgive us, now we're back to being connected in that godly sort of way. And that's the whole goal from God's perspective is for us to be back in right relationship with God and with one another. So... If we've been hurt by somebody else or afraid we might have hurt somebody else's feelings, we need to remember in that conversation the goal is to be back in the right relationship, not to prove a point or justify my having hurt feelings. The goal is to feel understood so that we're back in the right relationship, and we just have to have that so clearly in mind always when we're speaking to one another. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk positive now. How do we return to love? Thank you. If, if I, there's been this arguing and this losing this loving feeling. How do we get back? Great. So that arguing leads to what I call tag, you know, where we start to play the game, make the other person it all the time. And I just want to say to our listeners, just not for my glory, but be helpful to them, that on the website, glennpickering.com, there are two things you might find really helpful. One is this a short, like, seven-minute video on all the different ways to play tag and how to recognize it if you're playing. Super helpful. Great little summary of the game and how to see it when it's happening. And, again, of course, you can go to that website and see it for free. And there's also a book there you can download, an e-book, um, again, also free, that will teach you a lot more about the game and how to break out of it. So I would just really urge people to take advantage of those two um, resources because people tell me over and over again that they're very helpful. Okay, so how do we get out of that game? How do we get out of the game where we're stuck on seeing what's wrong with the other person instead of what's right? And I think to return to love, we need to repent first. And ours, you know, if we're in a state of sin, repentance is what always comes first. And if we're looking at that other person wrong and putting a wall between us, we are in a state of sin. So we need to, in our prayer time, first of all, in front of with our relationship with God, we need to repent of our wrong. We need to just acknowledge to God that we've been making the other person wrong, we've been looking for the bad part of them, we put up this resentful wall between us and them, and now we've been going around looking for reasons to justify the wall all of which are dead against what God wants us to do with one another. So in our prayer time, we just need to repent and just acknowledge, yes, we've done that. Not in a shameful, like I'm a bad person kind of way. More just, yes, this is what happened. I see clearly that I've been doing that. I just want to acknowledge it in front of you, God, that that's true. And then we ask God to help us to see that person differently, which is to say rightly. Because remember, when we get those resentments, then we just see, like, when we look at that other person, we don't see them at all. We just see our resentments, and we think that is them. 
and we see them so wrongly. And so we need first to get back to actually seeing them rightly, which is to say seeing them through God's eyes and all of their amazing glory. So when we do that, it's interesting to me how fast this changes because, you know, we were talking a few minutes ago about think, feel, do. If I'm in my prayer time with God, I see I've been treating that person wrongly, I repent of that, and I ask God to help me to see them as they actually are, sweet, good, loving, amazing, in all of their glory. It is so cool how fast, as soon as I ask God to change my thinking, two things happen. My thinking does change instantly, and so do my feelings towards them. So I'm going to ask the listeners, if they're willing, to just sort of be with me for a minute in this. I want you to think of somebody that you're kind of upset with right now, could be somebody you're upset with in the long term. Honestly, it could be just somebody that kind of bugged you today. It could be a partner. It could be a friend. It could be somebody at work. Honestly, it doesn't matter. It's all the same process. So I just want you to just think about that person for a minute, if you would, in your prayerful mindset. And then just confess the truth that you've been seeing them wrongly. They've been making reasons in your mind to be kind of harsh with them or to think badly of them. And remember, not in a judgmental way of yourself, just true, that, yep, I I did do that. And ask God to help you see them as they actually are. His perfect child, created by our God, put in your life for a very specific reason. And I just want you to know, in this notice in a gentle way, how as soon as you start seeing them differently... It shifts how you feel about them. It's just like what Bill was talking about before. He had a friend who kind of irritated him. He just really prayed for him instead of being upset with him. And then when he saw him, all he thought is, oh, yeah, this is the guy I've been praying for. <laughs> <laughs> it changes your thinking instantly. Mm-hmm. It will help us change our thinking, which instantly then changes how we feel towards that person, which will make us behave more lovingly because it always goes in that order. How I think affects how I feel, which then affects how I behave. And so we ask God, we come to God, we repent, we just tell the truth, because the truth, like Jesus said, will set us free. It's always true. And it sets us free, then, to ask God to help us to see them as they actually are, as God sees them. And that will change our feelings towards them and our behavior. Now, here's an interesting thing to me. This requires that we be willing to see differently. Now, sometimes people are like, well, why wouldn't I want to see them differently? And I think, let's be honest, we kind of hang on to our whole little ego thing where once we think, once we see them resentfully, we start to build up in our mind all the reasons why we're right and justified to be upset with them. See, we get kind of attached to that feeling. <laughs> Somehow it kind of makes us feel superior. It makes our ego feel like, see, we're better than that. I would never do that, but they did. And that we're right somehow to feel like we're just superior to all that. And our little ego just really loves to think things like that. And so in order to see them differently, we have to be willing to see them differently. That priest that um, I heard a long time ago in a talk, which I would love to give him credit for, but I forgot his name. He said, in heaven, all that happens is we get a new pair of glasses. I love that scene. (laughs) In heaven, all that happens is we get a new pair of glasses. We just get a different way of seeing all the things around us and the people around us. Which means then that we have to drop our ego's prideful need, quote unquote, to be right and to prove the point that we're right to think the way we think. And they, no, no, no. I need God to help change the way that I think. And I have to be honest with myself enough to just claim that's true. Because my ego just really, really wants to be right. But God wants us to be in right relationship. 
and I can't hang on to my need to be right and to be in the right relationship at the same time. The two are mutually exclusive. So when I come before God and ask God, I repent, I ask God to help me see that person as they actually are, pray for them just like you were talking about with your friend, that requires that we be willing to drop all the energy we've been putting into being right and just humbly ask God to actually be in right relationship with that person, to see them as God sees them. And there's a powerful thing that happens. And if anybody wanted to text in and talk about what happened for them, when they just took a minute, just a few minutes ago, to sort of think about this person that they're mad at, repent, see them as God sees them, and then notice how they felt differently. If anybody wants to text us or talk to us about that, I'd be glad to hear the feedback about that because I think that's just super interesting. Yeah, Glenn, another listener before you said this, said, I have asked in the past, and it's like my like my requests were either ignored or at least not taken seriously. I tend not to voice my requests as often as I may have at one time. Right. A little beat up. Yep, I get that. And that happens to us in relationships, and I, I know it's true. Now, and it's going to sound wrong or backwards, but see... If I've been asking for things and I've been ignored, a tendency then is to stop communicating. But what I actually have to do is step up my communication. I need to be able to say to that person, hey, I keep asking for what I need. I keep coming to you, but I feel like you kind of ignore it. I feel like you kind of blow it off. I feel like you kind of sometimes say, okay, sure, fine, but it never happens. I'm starting to feel kind of hurt by that. Which, again, that's a whole new level of vulnerability. I understand that. I'm not saying it's easy. But if I understand that the only other alternative is do what this person just said, sort of shut down, start not talking, avoiding that person, I need to understand I'm literally giving up on that relationship because it will never be right now. Hmm. When you talk about seeing someone and you really need God to help you reframe that, vision that you have of somebody. It's almost like if you go to a county fair and you have some caricature artist draw your caricature, they'll always take, you know, one piece of your face and kind of blow blow it out of proportion. Blow it all out of proportion. Yeah. I love it. And that's the only thing you see when you look at the caricature. And if if you were betrayed by somebody, when you see them, that's all you see is the betrayal part. Right. They're hurt or they're left down or they're disappointed or you don't get it or you don't understand it. Why didn't you pick me up when you said you were going to... (laughs) Right. So all those things that we get heard about. And God really does have to reframe that. Right. That, Honestly, that I, vision. I, think, I see so many people say to me, hold on, I should be able to think differently about that. And I think, yeah, see, this this really requires God's help. I Because um, otherwise, it's my ego. Well, Einstein used to always say, the same brain that got me into this problem is not going to get me out. And my brain and my ego is what got me into thinking that bad way, and my brain and my little ego all by itself is not going to get me out of that ditch. That ego dug that ditch. <laughs> so, that's gonna... so if I think I'm going to think my own way out of that, it's like, no, it's really important to come back to God. Let God see, help me see that person as God sees them, and then go from there. Mm-hmm. Glenn, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but your think, feel, do uh, progression, I've always in my mind, attached it to Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. Oh, for sure. Did he feel okay. hungry? Oh, my goodness, 30 days without food, yes. <laughs> yes, right. But when he was tempted, he started with his thinking. Right. Man shall not live by bread alone. Right. It is, it is written. Right. So Therefore, the thinking came in first, not the feeling like, yeah, hey, you're right, I am pretty hungry. Yeah, I am hungry. Okay, sure, <laughs> fine. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And people say, 
oh, Glenn, I make all my decisions based on emotions, I say, um, A, that's not true. B, that's a really bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A listener uh, said, I did the exercise regarding a child. Yeah. I was convicted in my judgmental attitude. It made me so aware of what I was doing. Thank you, Glenn. Nice. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for writing in. Yeah. All right. Let's take a little break. We'll come back. Lots more with Dr. Glenn Pickering. Head to his website, glennpickering.com. He has a couple of lovely offers. One is a free 20-minute consultation with him. No strings attached. And he also has got a downloadable book you can you can also pick up. And then a seven-minute video on the game of tag, which once you understand it, you're going to go, uh-oh, I play tag. Pretty much everybody. We'll be right back. Glenn Pickering, we're talking about when a marriage struggles. We're answering questions like, what happens when a marriage loses that loving feeling? Why do we argue so much with each other? And does counseling address the question of sin and selfishness? Let's talk about neglect, Glenn. We've got 14, 13 minutes left. Let's talk about uh, not making the relationship num- numero uno. Yep. So first of all, we talked about how you know resentments will drive a relationship apart, drives a wedge in a relationship and the second thing I see that really, really keeps people from having the marriage they want is honestly they just take the relationship for granted, I, um, and they don't make it first. I, I'm just so clear. Unless we can easily look at each other and think, you are the most important thing to me, and I live my life in a way that that's true, that relationship's not going to go in the direction we want it to go in. It's just not. And I just think it's just so easy. We get caught up in, quote, real life, you know, and then we quit making time for what I'd say all couples need is what I call daily talk time. You know, what was the best part of your day? What was the worst part of your day? How come? Mm-hmm. Not a grocery list of what we did. You know, what what actually happened inside of you? What was fun to you? What wasn't? How come? And well, we quit doing our daily devotions together, or we quit doing our date night, or going off and doing fun things. Even if it's just simple things like going on walks, or driving around, or watching a simple movie and popcorn at home, or... And we quit doing the sort of vacations and getaways. And I just think when we quit doing the things that keep us connected, then we gradually start drifting apart. And what I see that's just wicked about that process is it's so subtle at first. It starts really slowly, but the problem is if we don't do something about it, it starts going faster and faster and faster, like a rock going downhill. First it's just sort of bouncing along a little bit, but it goes faster and faster as it moves along. And I think, right. When we start taking the relationship for granted, that's what happens. We start drifting apart slowly at first and then faster and faster and faster. I, uh, I always say nothing will kill my relationship with Gwen faster than nothing. And I just think it's just so true. Mm-hmm. Had a lovely listener just give me this text, Glenn. It's so vulnerable. It's so beautiful. Love it. Uh, she said, I've struggled with resenting my husband for years. I have asked God to forgive me over and over, but I still feel awful. I did the process that Glenn asked us to do, and I started crying. Mm. All the guilt escaped, and I could see my husband in God's image. What a blessing my husband is, and this process, it has opened my eyes. Oh, that makes me want to cry. Thank you for writing in. That made me, that made my day. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, that's so great. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for that. 
Yeah. I won't, I won't say her name, but thank you for that. Yes. You know who you are. That's right. Mm-hmm. So the the neglect, that is a, a definite killer, isn't it? I, yeah. You've done and, such a nice job of laying that out. And if, yeah, thanks. And if, and if you don't have those touch points throughout the day and uh, part of your regular routine where you're kind to one another. Right, kind to one each other, pay attention to one another, spend time with each other. I just think... Um, Hmm. There's a book and a whole series of DVDs and other educational materials that came out a while ago called Love and Respect. And I always say they stole all of my best ideas, but but I don't mind. (laughs) Hmm. And it talks a lot about how every guy wants to know that the woman in his life looks up to him, respects him, thinks highly of him. And every woman wants to know that a guy in her life looks at her and thinks, you're so important to me. Well... See, it's just important to understand what happens from the woman's perspective. And if we're not spending time together, not doing those touch points, like you said, not paying attention, not talking, pretty soon she goes from feeling like, hey, I can tell I'm important to you, to starting to think, well, I don't feel like I am important to you. And, um, and that's not a little bit of a problem in a relationship. That's a foundational problem. Like that, like rips the fabric of a relationship. If the gal feels not important, that's a killer. So... I just think it's so important for us guys to just remember creating structure where we have daily talk time, where we do weekly date nights, where we have fun getaways, and to be like to take charge of doing that to make sure it happens. It's just so important in a relationship, I think, and it's so easy for people, and especially for guys, I think, to take that part for granted. Mm-hmm. Glenn, what causes? I don't want to ask this question again, but what causes re- resentments? in your opinion, the quickest? Is it um, not getting your needs met? Um, I think... I love the dramatic pause, by the way. Yeah, thank you. I want to come back to what Jesus said about the goal of marriage, is that the two shall become as one. Okay. If we get marriage right, if we develop this deep sense of knowingness, and when the Bible talks about sex, for example, it says, and he knew her. Like, even that part of the relationship is supposed to be based on a deep sense of, I know you. And I always think, if Gwen and I get our marriage right, then when we're in our 80s, you know, sitting in a rocking chair looking out over the water, um, I should be able to look at her and think, I know you almost as well as I know my own self. Not that we're the same. Not that we're clones. We are different. But I get you. When you said, Glenn, I did this on the way into the store today because dot, dot, dot. I think, uh-huh. Yep, I get that about you. So mostly when we get resentments, it comes back to that fundamental feeling of not being known. Mm-hmm. All right, I had a smartest listener just text in and say, I know the answer. It's not being seen. Yep. Exactly. So the thing that makes us, that wounds us the deepest, is that sense of not being known. Because on some fundamental level, whether we actually get it all the time or not, we're only in that relationship for that fundamental reason because we really want to have somebody in our life who really, really gets us. Mm-hmm. Not as the same as us, and not even always agrees with us, just gets us. So so if I say to my wife, I need some quiet time when I get home today, I don't need her to say, yep, I do too, or it's the same for me, or blah, 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 or I agree with you. I just need her to say, yes, I know that about you. <laughs> So that's how, yeah, yeah. So, Glenn, I want to take a couple of minutes 
that we have left here and revisit this because I did ask the question to listeners, is it hard to ask for what you want? And the overwhelming number of texts that came in was the answer, yes, it is hard to ask for what you want. So you have a captive audience, if they're still listening, that would love to hear from you, Glenn Pickering, uh, what they might be able to do effective tonight. Here's what I know for sure. When, when we have a hard time asking for what we want, something like this happens. Somebody asks us something or in a conversation, and it's our turn to speak and to say something about what we're thinking, about what we want, about what our vision is, and we start thinking of all the reasons not to do it. We literally talk ourselves out of it because we're scared. Scared of getting hurt scared that the other person won't agree with us, scared that they might even abandon us. We have all kinds of fears. And so I understand now, at least for me for sure, that what I need at that moment is courage. Right at that moment, when I'm talking to myself out of saying what I really want because I'm scared, I need courage. And once again, I can't generate that myself. So I take a second, I go internal, I ask God for the strength and the courage to just say what's actually true for me. Give myself two or three seconds, and then I speak. And I try to speak from that point of having the courage to just say what I'm really thinking or what I want or what my opinion is. Mm -hmm. All right, Glenn, we've had a couple of other comments come in. They're they're amazing. Uh, I'd love for you to address these. Uh, What if I just don't enjoy being with him? It feels very disconnected. Um, remember I said just a few minutes ago, once the process of drifting starts, it goes slower first and it goes faster and faster. And it gets to the point where I think, I don't even like being with you anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? There's nothing good that's happening. Yeah. And I need to understand, I'm also not very fun to be with. <laughs> if I'm having that thought. Mm-hmm. So, I need to go back to that person and think, well, first of all, I need to get my own thinking right. I think, oh, I don't even like that person. And I might even believe that that's true. But really what's happening is, see, I've gotten I've drifted so far away from that person that the truth is I hardly know them. Mm-hmm. And it's my job if I want to shift that relationship in a different direction to think, okay, I'm going to drop all my, predis- my presuppositions, all my assumptions, and I need to start getting better at actually asking them questions and listening to the answers. And so we do need that daily talk time, and we need to get back to our doing the book. Mm-hmm. And I need to spend time with them, and I need to actually ask God when I'm with them to help me see them rightly. Mm-hmm. I can start remembering what it was that I liked about them all that time ago, because all those things I fell in love with are still true. Yeah. Well, this is an interesting angle, Glenn. Um, my husband deliberately sabotaged if he knew I wanted or needed something. He was narcissistic and had other mental health problems. I once told him he was much nicer much nicer person on medication, he immediately stopped taking it. Right. Yikes. Yep. And it's important to understand this. I talk to people all the time about the game of tag. By, this is by analogy. And I just really get, if I don't play tag, I don't reach out, I mean, but I'm inviting people in the right relationship with me, about 96% of people will come, not because I'm so incredibly charismatic, but because they want to be connected just as bad as I do. But I also understand this. There are 4% of people who play tag so hard, it doesn't matter how much I invite them or how kind I am to them, they're not going to join me in that relationship. They just won't. 
And I need to be honest with myself. When Jesus said it was supposed to be wise as serpent and innocent as doves, to just understand, I want to be innocent enough to be reaching out to every person I meet and to invite them in the right relationship. Mm-hmm. Wise enough to know, and there will be some small number who either just won't or can't do it. Mm-hmm. All right, Glenn, let me cut you off because I want to give my listeners one last plug for right. glennpickering.com. Uh, that's with two N's, G-L-E-N-N-P-I-C-K-E-R-I-N-G, glennpickering.com. He is uh, available for uh, couples counseling and one-on-one counseling, and he does uh, seminars, and they're all amazing, and you can get one of his books, or or you can sign up to have a free 20-minute consultation with him, and I've known Glenn for long enough to know that he can condense a lot in 20 minutes, and it's free. And there's no strings attached. You can get a chance to uh, get some counsel with him. You can also download a free ebook on his website and watch a seven-minute video on the game of tag, a, a subject he's written two books about. Glenn, thank you for the time. It's been great having you on once again. Gosh, thanks for having me. I honestly just love being on this show. I love all the work that you do, and it's amazing. So I just want to say Bill is really great. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> What a nice way to end. Thank you so much uh, to all my guests. Thanks to Patrick Albanese and David Miles and Glenn Pickering for really a wonderful show. I hope you enjoyed today, and I look forward to being with you tomorrow. Uh, Rob Blue is going to be joining me, of course, and many others. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.